Well, thanks for joining us tonight for episode five of The Afterward. I'm Josiah Pettit, the director here at the Westminster Bookstore. And tonight we are joined by CCF's Ed Welch and Darby Strickland. Uh, my wife is actually on staff at CCF, so I've had the, the privilege of getting to know uh, both Darby and Ed uh, personally over the last few years at various uh, CCF staff gatherings and, and White Elephant uh, Christmas gift exchanges, uh, so it's fun to have you, you both on here tonight uh, for a conversation about Darby's new book. Uh, to begin, Ed, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about... Um, uh, about Darby, what's it been like uh, seeing her as both your student and now publishing this major work? Well, that thank you so much for the question. That's a great question. I my first recollection of Darby was in a in a conference room at CCF when she thought I was one of her fellow students, and I was just so tickled and blessed by that to uh, to think that I was still looking looking student like. I uh, had Darby in classes, and and if, uh, if if you read her book or if you've read her book, you you'll see the, 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 the you'll see the outline of Darby that I saw as a student, very careful, thoughtful, compassionate, pastoral, and in the in the way she 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 brought scripture to bear meaningfully to people's lives. That's that's what I saw as a student. The, the other end of the spectrum, what's it like to work with her? Darby, I hope this doesn't seem horribly paternal, but, but the way I pray for my children is that they will far excel me in their knowledge of Christ and their fruitfulness for Christ. And, and I am so thankful that I see that happening in both of my children. Uh, I, I just didn't expect they would excel me at this age. Uh, well, I think the same thing with Darby. I... I am just thrilled to see her far go, go far beyond me and in her writing and her speaking and her care for other people. So, so this is, this is every father's dream. So Darby, excuse the paternal imagery, but you, it, you, under, yeah. you understand what I'm saying. Thanks for that, Ed. Um, I, I wonder if uh, I could ask both of you, um, since you're counselors, uh, but also now authors, um, how, how have you used uh, books in, in your own counseling ministries uh, in, in the setting of, of a counseling situation? How have, you, how have you used books to help those uh, who are struggling? Ed, maybe, maybe we can start with you. I don't have, I don't have any particular stories. What, the way I use books is is I just give books away. When, whenever I think a person could benefit from a book, I give it away. And, and I give my own books away. I give books that I own more than books that I've written away. And, and it's easy for me to give books, my own books away because I can get my books for cheap. It's, I have to admit, the last book I gave away was In Christ Alone by Sinclair Ferguson. And I've read it at least once, probably twice, but it was it, it was like a precious possession that I was that was gifting to another person. So, so I I just tend to give my books away to whoever I think would benefit from them. Yeah, likewise. Actually, the book that I give away the most is Ed Shame Interrupted. There was like a time that I was probably buying twenty at a time because <laughs> anywhere I went, someone was in need of one, um, and they just really resonate with, particularly victims of abuse, really resonate 
fulfilling the, sort of the themes in there, the unclean, the untouchable, the unworthy. Um, and then just there, come back, just act sometimes actually weeping, feeling understood and known. And that book's just been really powerful in the counseling room, in church relationships. Um, and that's probably the one I would point to the most. Oh, thanks, Darby. Thanks. I'll uh, I'll maybe hop in and and ask uh, one more question here to Darby, and then Ed, I'll turn it over to you for uh, for the rest of the time. Um, but Darby, your book is is quite comprehensive. It covers um, a lot of of topics and is clearly based on a lot of of personal experience uh, in the counseling room. How long have you been working on this book, and um, what made you want to write a book on abuse? Yeah, I've probably been actively writing the book for a bit, slow in the process. Um, but I think the book's been in my heart for a long time in the sense of God's just given me a lot of oppressed women to care for. And one thing I've always really wanted to do was advocate for them in their local church and have their elders and pastors care well for them. But abuse is really difficult to understand often. And so I want to develop a way to help churches understand the people suffering in their midst. Um, so you know, it's just born out of a lot of conversations, particularly with victims, but also pastors and elders who wanted to learn about abuse. Um, so just I wanted to organize the material in a way to share it. And that's kind of been the process. Yeah, Josiah, as I, as I think of the answer to that question, not so much how long, but but the the history behind this book, what I've seen in Darby are are two things. One is, she she cares for other people and listens to them. So so if if she is having a casual conversation after a church service with another woman, if there's something that seems to be just a small troubling matter, Darby will hear it. And in the next week or two, she'll follow up on it. And you can imagine a, a woman who is reluctant to speak about things that, like, like Darby saying, could potentially be so shameful. You can imagine how just that follow-up question would be inviting more and more. So, so, so Darby has a real gift to be able to, to pastorally listen. And, and that means listen in a way that she, she maintains her care and interest in the other person. Because the other part of that is people who have been victimized and oppressed, they, they are attracted to, to her which is, I just consider that to be a fine gift that the Lord has given her. I would agree. It just feels like an honor to carry people's stories. Thank you. Darby, let me, let me go with a few other questions. I have a few questions in mind, and maybe we'll get through most of the questions. Uh, and, but if there, are other, if there are particular questions that are important to you, just, just run with them. Uh, Josiah mentioned that, that the book says a lot. It really it says a lot. And, and there are so many really fine books on uh, abuse that are available. This, in some ways, this feels almost like a once, if, if there's going to be one place to stop, to, to have just a, a real large sense of how to help and, and who people are, this is really a fine book for that. Uh, but it does raise a question. Who were the people that you had in mind as, as you were writing this book? Yeah, I really wanted it to be written to anybody who wanted to help a victim 
um, any Christian. So that could be a family member, a friend, an elder, a deacon, another counselor who just didn't have the same level of experience. And so it's written to people who walk alongside victims. Um, I really wanted to educate them um, robustly to understand the dynamics of oppression, um, what the effects are, and how to draw out particular stories. So it's really an entry-level book in a sense, um, but I wanted to develop a really robust theology and way for them to understand the person that the Lord calling them to love. There are, there are a lot of people who would be interested in your book because they, they, they know, they have friends, they have family members who have experienced abuse in the, in the context of marriage. What about those who, who, who have heard of the topic and read about certainly all kinds of things uh, within the church and outside of the church regarding abuse, uh, but they don't know they don't know of it personally. They haven't had those kinds of conversations. Would would that person be among among the audience for this book? I really hope so. I try to bring a lot of illustrations, a lot of stories, so that people can understand, um, map onto other people's lives my experience to help people understand. But I think it's a book that I really want people to read before they need it, which I know is a big ask. Um, but I know from being involved with churches and elders, when they're involved in these situations, it's usually months in that they realize, oh, no, this was abuse. And we've done all this and all this harm kept happening. Um, and so if they go in with their eyes alert to the right thing, the process just goes so much better. And so I don't, I don't want people to have to learn like I did, very overwhelmed and learning along the way and hurting people as I was learning. Um, so I really hope that people who don't think they need it um, think maybe one day um, that they use it to train their churches or in women ministers. And, and and what can drive those who don't have firsthand experience with it? What what can drive them to the book are are two things. One is you talk about this in the book to to know the heart of God for for those who have been victimized and. And oppressed, um, where it is, once you look for it, it is everywhere in Scripture. It is absolutely everywhere. So, so that would be one reason why this this has a much broader audience, because you you want to introduce people to the very heart of God. Uh, the other is the the for every for every one abusive situation we might have heard about. Not personally involved in, in any way, but we heard about. There's, there's probably who knows how how many people are represented in in that 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 x equals one. So could you say a little bit about the the scope of this? Um, what would if we haven't seen it before? Just put us put us on alert to it. What? I don't. Maybe even statistics. I don't know what what yeah. would help us to see the expanse of it. Yeah, actually, they say three quarters of Americans know somebody who is a victim of domestic violence in the course of their lifetime. So it is really likely you will encounter a victim. 30% of Americans say they know someone who's physically abused in the last year. And so it's quite prevalent. I think we often struggle because we fail to think that it's happening in our midst. Um, abuse is like a hidden reality. Um, oppressors are great pretenders. Evil likes to hide, right? And so it's it's something that we're not 
aware of is happening if we're not trained to see it. So some of the things I hope to do in the book is just bring out some of those warning flags, some of those patterns to be looking for, even ask churches to start talking about it so that victims say, hey, in my church, they understand and give them a place to go. Two-part question that you're causing me to think of. Uh, the abuse is, we're, we're more familiar with abuse in marriages than, than we, we, we have been in the last who knows how many generations. Uh, good thing, any concerns about that? Any, any comments on, on our place in sort of the history of this, this particular problem? I think it's good in the sense is that we're bringing something that was in the darkness into the light and we're gaining an awareness. And I think mm -hmm. we're, because women are more freer to talk um, to other women, just our society is more open. We share details we might not have 20 years ago. Um, men are valuing women more in our churches. And so they're listening to stories. Um, so I think that those are good movements and good things. Abuse is a funny word, right? It can be overused. It could be misunderstood. So I think some people struggle with the word. They fear that it's being misused or overused. And, and so I think like in any time in history, whether it's this time or times past or times to come, we always want to be really careful. We want to be slow. We want to be deliberate. We want to know no case of abuse is the same, right? So anything you think you know in one case of abuse you really have to start all over with the second case. So I just urge people's slowness. What's the benefit of having that category in mind? The category of abuse, uh, or the, the category that you use much more often in the book, the category of oppression. What's, why is that important for us to have that particular category? Yeah, I think that's, a, that's great because right in marriage, we're all sinners and we're, we're, we cause our spouses harm. We're all doing that all the time, sadly. And what's different when abuse comes into the picture is the person is willing to, their idolatry happens in such a way that they are willing to wound another person um, to get their way, um, to maintain um, control or domination in the relationship. And when that's happening, our priorities in addressing that have to change. So when we, when we use the term abuse or the label abuse comes in, all we're doing is doing all the other things we would normally do, except now we have to think about protection and safety for a victim. So just that's a it's a small shift, really a small layer, but it really changes a lot of how we interact. That's that's very helpful. It's very helpful. Darby, walk us through what you would like a friend to let. Let's say, let's say a friend has. Has learned something about her friend. There's some kind of violence, some some kind of abuse or oppression in the home. Let's say a friend has heard that, which means it must be a very good friendship, because it's been entrusted to this friend. Uh, now what? What? What would what would you like that friend to be able to do at that point? And how might the book help the friend to do those things? Yeah, I really want the friend, one, to, again, slow down, draw out more details of what they're hearing. Often when we hear something like that, we think it's a one-off. Um, a wife complains about a, a harsh moment or a thrown mug, and we, we, we don't look for more. We want to address the one incident. So I would want good friends to, 
ask simple questions. Um, has that happened before? How often is the level of rage like that? Are you afraid? What's it like for you? Um, so the books pull lots of questions to help helpers draw out and fill out the stories. And then I think just mirroring back for the person that what they're hearing isn't right. Oftentimes victims of abuse feel like it's their fault. They did something to upset their spouse. They feel deserving of the punishment. Um, and oftentimes as Christians, we, we know we're both sinners. So we'll say, we want to figure out how did you contribute or what are your marital dynamics? And I think it's really important that when we hear horrific details, we act horrified. Um, when we hear things that are stunning or brutal, that we should name them as, as such. And I just think it gives a victim clarity. I mean, scripture names sins really clearly. And so by naming sins for victims, um, is, I just those are simple things to start a conversation and to just give them confidence to tell more. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a very, very helpful. Any, any particular places where, where friend, you've seen friends sort of go off the rails a bit and, and did things that were not helpful? Sure, in two directions. Once a victim starts telling more of their story, Sometimes people helpers then are on high alert because now they feel very concerned for a victim. They're worrying about the victim's life. They feel like they're in danger. And then they work. Um, they're going faster than the victim is ready to name things. And it almost shuts the victim down. And so to slow down and to recognize, you know, where is this woman and understanding what's happening to her? How does she want to respond? Um, for her to come forward in her church could cause her more harm at home. She has to think about her children and custody issues. But oftentimes our uncomfortability what is what's happening is we want to take over and or tell them what to do, how to react. And we often lose victims that way. Their oppressor is very controlling and domineering. So one quick thing to do is we want to give them back their person and how do they want to respond. No, you're saying something really, really important, but it's challenging. Your your willingness to slow down, uh, a franticness is probably not going to help. Yet at the same time, when a person, a, a person we love, seems to be in danger, we want to do something, and so the instinct is to be active and to to make something happen to protect. Um, how do how do we somehow how do we somehow keep those things how do we balance that how do we how do we care when both of those desires are present what i think is just we're entrusting them to the lord that he is their redeemer rescuer and helper and and we can relax when we know that he is the one moving and rescuing and will do the convincing and the convicting um, so that takes pressure off of us the other is I think we do continue to speak the truth. We say, I'm concerned for you. I'm very worried. This is what I hear God's heart would be saying for you. This is where I see in scripture, he would guide you. Um, so I think we're saying those things, but we're not saying them as a command. We're saying them as a fellow traveler alongside them. We're we want them to discover those things with us. Darby, let's think a little bit more about what slowing down could potentially look like. Um, when have you slowed down? What are things that, that alert you to, to slowing down? One, one of the things that, that uh, you got me thinking, which, which I find myself doing occasionally, is, okay, something is important. 
You know, we have we first of all we have to hear that something is important. In other words, we believe God says this is important, so we believe it's important. Uh, and in your comment about how can we do this together rather than feel the friend feeling like they're the ones that have to do something and they have to make this unilateral decision immediately. How can we do this together? Um, something like this. What you just said was really, really important. And, and it, would be, it would be easy for us to sort of, sort of gloss over it, but we can't. Um, can you help me to understand that? And, and am I with you with this? Am I, am I hearing the things that are important? To you, you can you can almost you can almost hear I, the the idea of slowing down. Well, I'm, I'm I'm slowing down even as I say it. What what would be some some other examples of that initial slowing down when 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 an abusive marriage might be introduced in the context of a relationship? So one of the things that routinely happens is a woman will share with me um, the ways that she's been mistreated or violated. And I'll start to reflect back to her, you know, this just this is a pattern of violence or terrorizing you. And she'll back up pretty quickly and say, no, 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 but you don't understand. I think I think I haven't represented my husband correctly. He's a good provider. He's great. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, as you're talking, I'm thinking, hmm. I care about my friend. I want to believe her. She's saying it's no big deal, and and that's that's the way to go. So you're it's you're going to you're going to zig with me when I'm zagging. Um, help us at, at that particular place. Why should we persist, and why should we continue to slow down? And how would we even do it? One of the things I actually use is Mike Emlet's suffer saint and sinner, and so I I say. That we can, I want to hear about all the ways that your husband's blessing you. I want to hear about how you're perceiving his good relationship with the Lord. But his sin is also really serious, too, um, and the way that it harms. And you've told me, and then I'll probably be really specific trying to use the words that they have given me um, with the particular harm that they described. And that's interesting to me, and, and more interesting, and I'll explain why um, that needs our attention. But I want to invite them to keep telling me husband isn't one-dimensional to them. So I want to invite them in. I'll just explain their whole relationship with him. And that really helps victims. There, could you imagine somebody using your book to help that particular process? One of the things that I think is so helpful in the book is you're not giving a prescription. Here are the 30 questions that you need to ask. But you really do help us to be very specific. Here, here is one question or two questions, and and then here are some potential follow-up questions. Could you imagine somebody taking the book and saying, "Well, here's this Darby person, and 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 she's suggesting these things are probably important things. Here are some questions we could ask. I guess that's a rhetorical question." Uh, I, I, I guess I'm saying I think the book could be used helpfully that way, where it can just be brought off the shelf and and uh, hey, let's let's have some of these questions guide us. Let's let's see where we go. Any other thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, uh, no. Good. Actually, I designed the book to kind of have a workbook feel to it, so that someone could pull it off the shelf and use it with someone. Um, just because as, as helpers, we get overwhelmed with the detail, 
sometimes we need a guide, but I think it's really helpful for victims to go through all different questions and with understanding if there's a purposefulness behind it. Yeah, I love that idea. And which could even, we can, we can do things that are unhelpful when we feel utterly incompetent. That's when we, we can be prone to, to, to saying things that are unhelpful or, or we simply don't want to talk about areas where we feel less than competent. And I, I so appreciate what you're saying because it doesn't take a whole lot of competence to, to say, let's, here's this book I, 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 I've been reading. Let's, let's just go through parts of it together and, and, and see, see if the spirit uses that to bring, bring certain conversations here. Um, yeah, I think the book is, 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 is really very, very fine at that. Thanks. Thanks. And, and, and thanks for your thanks for your care, because because the book is not is not simply saying, well, here are the facts about abuse and here are questions you can ask it. It really you love you love those who have been violated and and you really want to help us to help them. And and so the book does have that. Take it off the shelf and use it. That's that's very helpful. Uh, couple of the questions that I've had. One is, is, is we will encounter women who have been abused in the context of marriage more often than men. Uh, your thoughts on the place of men when we hear about such things? What, what can we do? What are some scenarios that you can imagine where, where, where men in the church would, 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 would be involved in some way? What, how can, how can, how can we participate well? Yeah, I think men's, particularly male leadership's participation is really important. I how, be, might, how, how might a man actually hear about this first? Because how might it's it not going to... attention, you mean? Yeah, yeah because it, it's not going to be the way that you might hear about it, where you have conversations that, 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 are, that, are, that are important conversations that a, a male wouldn't be having with a, with, with a woman after church. Um, so how would a, how would a man even become part of this? Well, when I do my counseling, I often will advocate for a victim and I will go to her church and speak with the elders and share her story, an abbreviated version, the level of details that are appropriate. Um, I know in other um, situations, friends, women, will, their friends will go with them, the male leadership to ask for help. Um, and so it often is, um, a woman is sharing her story with another woman, and then they go together um, to ask for help. And I've just recognized that when male leadership hears a story and a good friend has sat with another woman and she's helped organize it and and communicate it, because male leadership is very threatening to an abused woman, right? Just a, and a male leader can say to her, "This is wrong." Um, it's just very powerful when when the, her pastor can look at her and say. This is against God's design for marriage. And I'm greatly concerned for you. It really resonates with the woman differently. I might counsel someone for nine months and they're struggling to say, is it really abuse? Is it really that bad? Is it my fault? When her pastor can look at the details of her situation and speak to it, um, it carries a different weight. And then they're usually, victims are usually better able at that point to make decisions um, and ask for help and have clarity. Darby, you're 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 giving a bit of a roadmap where the woman is speaking 
is willing to speak openly with a friend. They, the friend is trying to understand questions. And in the course of that conversation, the story becomes a bit more clear. Um, uh, and, and what you're suggesting at that point is, is, to, is to enlarge the circle of people who, who are aware. Now that the story, in a sense, is prepared, and there is an advocate as, as they go to male leadership, um, now they're, so there's, there's a good bit of work before, before they went to male leadership. Um, uh, if the person does not want to go to speak with elders or pastors, then what? Sometimes I'll ask, is it okay if I go on your behalf and let them know to be praying for you? Or is there another woman in the church who has a leadership role or an elder's wife I can connect you with? I still want to be expanding the number of people involved in her care. Um, other times I say, well, let's just keep writing and working and praying about when the Lord, it, it's time for you to share the story. And the Lord will make it clear to you and you'll have the confidence to do that. So sometimes we have to take other little baby steps to do that, um, just so that they gain confidence that it's writing a letter, um, practicing telling another friend, being believed by somebody else usually helps them. So I'm just trying to think of what little steps can I help them have confidence in. That's, they're, they're very, very helpful suggestions. I really appreciate those. They're a different kind of question, Darby. You, you have been gifted to care for women who who have been victimized in this way in the context of, in, in the worst of all contexts, in some ways, in the context of their very marriage. Uh, uh, how, how are you strengthened to be able to help them? You were called to bear one another, another's burdens, and it's our, it's our privilege to do such things. It's our honor to do such things. Um, how do you do that, and how are you strengthened in the midst of it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one is when I first was doing this work, I didn't have the same spiritual grounding and the stories would keep me up at night and they were heavy and I didn't know what to do. And I think that's just a normal part of the process when you hear about atrocities for them to stir your mm -hmm. soul, that's normal. Um, but after walking through with, with so many women and seeing the Lord's faithfulness to them, it became easier for me to just trust and anticipate how he would care for them. But I also have to do things to tend to my own soul. Um, I have to be tasting and seeing the Lord's goodness. I love being out in creation by water and spend a lot of time in the darkness professionally. And so just, you know, enjoying my kids, um, husband, a good meal. I have to really be disciplined in my own self in creating spaces of beauty, of peace. So there, there are two things I draw from that. One is... You, you move from the person who feels like the responsible expert. I got to do something. And what can I do? What are, what are the decisions I need to make? To, to you, you're walking with this person. And, and you, are, you're, you, you, you honor their particular pace in this. This is something you are doing together. So, so that's, been, that's been one of the changes. And, and the other has been simply your, your own confidence that when we have no idea what to do, that is, there are two ways we can go. One is we frantically think of what we should do. The other is, oh, this is, 
this is exactly where we should be. This is exactly where we should be. Otherwise, otherwise we don't love by faith. We simply, we simply love and try to help by our own wits and, and being able to know who we are praying to with another person and be on behalf of another person is, is, is one of the things we, we all anticipate is, is we have the honor of, of knowing those who have been victimized. Darby, thanks. I could ask you so many more questions, uh, but I think this, this captures some of the usefulness of the book. Thank you so much for, for your willingness to, to not, just, not just have grown in this yourself, but to, to allow us to grow with you. It's, it's, a, it's a labor of love to us as well. Thank you so much. Josiah, any? Yeah, thanks, Ed and Darby. Uh, well, I've got you both on. I thought I'd ask you a little bit about this year's CCF National Conference. Uh, normally, the, the National Conference, I think for a lot of us, is really the, the highlight of our year. Uh, us at the bookstore, we get to, to put on this, this real-life physical uh, bookstore event where we get to meet many of you uh, in person, and we get to hand you and touch and read physical books. Uh, and we get to hear uh, from from so many good CCF teachers and, and gather for a couple of days. But with COVID, we're not able to do that. And this year's conference will all be held uh, virtually. So I know uh, CCF and we at the bookstore have all been uh, working really hard to try and replicate the magic that happens uh, at the CCF conference um, online this year. So I thought... Um, could you could you tell us just a little bit about what we can expect uh, from this year's national conference? Well, I've I know the people speaking, and I've I've heard the basic gist of a lot of what they're going to say. So I'm going to be there. I'm one of the few people who will be allowed to be there to hear it, and 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 I can't wait. More personally, the the topic is is from the the, the book that I've written. Uh, which I never know the names of my books, but I think it's called Created to Draw Near. And the topic... I can confirm that's the title, and, yes. And the top... And, and, and every topic is important, but, but Created to Draw Near is, is one of those topics that get to the very heart of Scripture and the very heart of God, where it is hard for us to imagine that, that, that people like ourselves would, would have a God and Father who wants to draw near to us and who absolutely does and invites us to draw near to him. This is his desire. One of the great privileges for me in going through the book was I finally believe that, that, that God himself wants us. He's created us to draw near to himself. And, and for a conference to, to have that as the core theme is, well, can't get any better than that. So. Darby, any thoughts? Yeah, I got to hear a preview of the talks, and even in the five-minute previews, I had tears. Just so encouraged um, by what is going to be brought, and just the Lord's heart for His people. It's just, it was just really, I think it's going to be a great time. Yeah, I have, I have to say, Johnny Gibson, who normally hosts uh, this this podcast program, uh, will also be speaking at this year's national conference. And after he heard a preview of your talk at Darby, he was a little bit jealous that he couldn't be the one uh, to interview be, you because he uh, 
yeah, he just found it so edifying and, and practical. And there were there were so many questions that came to mind that he wanted to ask you. So uh, he was a little bit jealous of you, Ed. But um, yeah, if you haven't already, please uh, head on over to ccf.org and you can uh, find out more about how you can join this year's national conference uh, without having to to travel or stay in a hotel, um, you can just watch uh, from your home virtually. So ccf.org, ccf uh, please go check that out. And we hope to see many of you there. Thanks for letting me do this instead of Johnny. I really appreciate that, Josiah.